Welcome to the Black Entrepreneur Experience Podcast, inside the business, buzz, and brilliance of Black entrepreneurs. Here is your host, Dr. Francis Richards. What happens in Vegas goes all over the world on Black Entrepreneur Experience, episode number 183. If you want clarity about your life and or your business, you can schedule a one-on-one coaching session with me. You can send an email to fr at francisrichards.com. Thank you for joining us as we elevate the Black Entrepreneur Experience by interviewing CEOs, thought leaders, innovative thinkers, and Black entrepreneurs across the globe. I'm your host, Dr. Francis Richards. Building a strong cultural connection with our young Black and suburban kids, North Texas to be inspired, empowered, and able to embrace their culture for a better future. Welcome, Deidre O'Neill. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here this day. Fill in the gaps. Why don't you share with our audience what you'd like them to know about you and your business? I live in Texas. I am raising a family of four in the suburbs of North Texas, and I am an enthusiastic person. I enjoy inspiring others. I enjoy giving back to my community, wherever my community is at. I am originally from South Central Los Angeles, and I grew up with a family that made sure I was involved in just about everything that they could put me in. They just wanted me to gain as much knowledge and wisdom. So I had a better choice or chance to do whatever I wanted to do with my life. And things like that really, to me, when I went away to college and graduated from college, wherever I was at, I always volunteered. Some way, somehow, always was volunteering kids. It wasn't like I wanted to have a bunch of kids, but I always saw them and myself Someone always took the time out to teach me and show me things. And I always felt like kids who are overlooked needed someone to come in and just let them know that they can do and be as great as they possibly can. Everything that I was taught, I try to give back to my kids, but I am inspired at the same time to do that with other children. So I started my nonprofit organization, Young Black and Suburban Kids, on that that vision to give back to kids. What was that aha moment that you knew that you were on to something with the nonprofit organization? That aha moment was, I think, when I just started it. Once I started the organization, started doing the paperwork to get my nonprofit established, the contacts that I started to make, parents who were interested, students who wanted to volunteer to help. I felt like I really have something. It went from idea to reality. That was my aha moment, just the process of starting this organization. Talk about, Deidre, that process to start the organization. How do you start a nonprofit? For me, starting a nonprofit was, one, having the vision. Having that vision and start writing it down. And writing it down led into me developing my actual business plan. And taking that business plan to individuals who were able to mentor me, guide me, and me starting to research what do I need to do to make this happen. Once that happened, I started making all kinds of different connections and learning more about how to develop it, how to develop my board, how to get volunteers. So it initially really just started with that, that idea, that thought, and working it and making it a reality. 
Tell us what you're most grateful for right now in your life. What I'm grateful for right now in my life is my family. During this COVID-19 that we're living in and the coronavirus, I have truly enjoyed spending this extra time with my kids. Now that school is out, the summer is a little bit different because a lot of our summer activities were canceled and I am spending so much time at home and we are having more conversations, spending time playing games. I'm cooking with my kids, but as I'm cooking, I'm teaching them about this is what my grandmother would show me or teach me about this. And they're actually engaged. And I am noticing that my I have four kids, they are all getting along a lot more than normal because they're with each other 24-7 now. I'm enjoying it. I'm loving it. I know some people are not, but I really enjoyed this time. And it's, it's really happy for us right now. What problem exists in the world today that you would like to solve? I would like to solve the problem of breaking generational curses. I know there are some people that look at breaking generation curses a little bit different, but I look at not knowing who you are, not knowing where you camp where you come from and your culture is a generational curse because the kids that are growing up today, they lack the knowledge and understanding of their black history, their black knowledge before slavery, during slavery, after slavery. And when I talk to my kids and I know there's so much that they don't know, I'm starting to realize their parents don't know it either. Well, some of their grandparents don't know. Conversations were not happening at home. And conversations and being taught always happen in the home first. You know, when we were slaves, we educated our kids at home. The community taught our kids. And then unfortunately, that's not happening now. And it's definitely not happening in the suburbs because the suburbs are so spaced out. And I just want to be able to break that curse that we cannot get stronger as a generation because we are not educating ourselves and we're not educating our kids. How have you incorporated the education with the nonprofit organization? I have, prior to the COVID-19, I was hosting in-person events. And in my events, I would have a segment where I am educating the kids about a Black history fact. Whether it was something that happened in America or Canada, but I was just giving them that knowledge different topics that are not discussed in schools. I would bring in different speakers who were educated on Black history as well. For instance, we had something simple called Valentine's for Veterans in February, and we did arts and crafts, and we delivered these things plus chocolates to a convalescent home, and we showed the kids how to give back to our communities But what we also did is we talked about the African-American soldiers, you know, in America when they fought in different wars, how that happened. We discussed the different medals, like the Purple Heart. We discussed what that means and how to be an honorable soldier and how many of our soldiers were so honorable and where cemeteries may be and things like that that they weren't aware of. I just wanted to bring a little bit of more knowledge than what they're used to hearing. And we chose to do that in February and honor our veterans during that time, just so we can talk more about it during Black History Month as well. 
So it's just every opportunity I have when I was conducting workshops, just bringing them a little bit more information about their culture and about their heritage. Let's talk about starting the nonprofit. This is 2020. Would you recommend someone start a nonprofit? I know that I've heard that it's oversaturated in terms of nonprofit. And if you're trying to go after corporate fundings, is that a good thing or not? Can you speak towards that, Deidre? I believe that if you see a need, you see that there is something lacking in your community you have a cause, a mission, then it is your job to go after it and fulfill it. Don't sit on it. I don't think there's enough nonprofit organizations. There's always a problem somewhere. And if you're the person that try to fix it, then go fix it. Start that nonprofit. You know, I look at what's going on in the world right now, and there are so many companies that had to stop the funding for a lot of events because shelter in place. Well, those funds have now been relocated or reallocated to different organizations now that's fighting against everything that's going on, the social injustice that's going on in our society. So you may have started off this year not receiving funding and not knowing how to get more funding as a nonprofit, but I guarantee you right now, there are so many opportunities And if you didn't start that nonprofit, you wouldn't be benefiting from all the funding that's available right now. So why wait? Go and just do it because there is a need. Tell us some advice you wish you had followed. Advice I wish I would have followed. Just do it. Stop being afraid. Don't worry about what other people think. Just do it. Don't live in fear and doubt yourself. Don't try to make this perfect. Just get out there and do it. I wish all of what I had in me, I would have listened to that years ago and just about everything in my life. Not letting that fear keep you back or that doubt. Everybody may not believe in you at that time, but you have to believe in yourself and just go out there and just do it. What is your vision for the next couple of years My vision for the next couple of years for YBS Kids is to have a chapter in every major sub-city of this community that I live in, I work in, uh, North Texas. I want to be able to have a chapter because the suburbs from where I live is pretty large. And I want to be able to reach as many African-American kids that I possibly can. I want to be able to be in connection or work with all the school district that I possibly can. And, you know, I would love to offer more classes for these kids. And like I say, get into the school districts to educate as many African-American kids as I possibly can. If you got into the school system and not if, when you get into the school system, will you open it up for other nationalities to take the course? If I open it up to the school district, more than likely that would probably be an option due to the fact that how school districts operate, they want it to be open for everyone. However, I plan and hope to stay as true to the mission of educating our African-American kids and developing that strong connection with that group of kids as much as I possibly can. The whole purpose of it is because there's zero to 10 percent, I guess, of organizations that exist like this in the suburbs. And I I just 
I believe it's time for them to exist and a place for them to come together and connect and be comfortable and learn from one another. With the protest and the unrest and everything that's going on around Black Lives Matter, how do you bridge the gap or incorporate or have those talks with young people about what's happening and giving them a sense of purpose? Not hiding them from the truth, not hiding the reality of what's going on. My goal is not to shelter them, but to give them outlet to listen, learn, and discuss about what's going on. I think a lot, like when you're on social media and you're watching the news, there's a lot of hatred going on right now and a lot of conversation, but there's very little conversation when it comes to kids. How are we preparing our kids before they go off to school to be able to have these conversations when they get to school. My goal right now is to just be able to communicate to the parents as well as the kids about having conversations at home, about talking to your kids. For instance, when the riot and the the looting started a couple of weeks ago, you know, I have kids from the age of 14 down to six years old now. My older three, we actually set them down we turn on the news. I don't want my kids dumbfounded, not knowing what's going on in the world. But my husband and I discuss with them, this is what's going on. We allow them to ask questions. Why are they doing this? Well, what is this for? Or did this, is this the first time this ever happened? And then open up the opportunity for us to talk about, no, it's not. You know, this has happened in other cities and other places. I, for one, experienced the Los Angeles riots. And I can tell you how I felt growing up as a kid, seeing this in my own backyard. What we want for our kids is the same thing I want from other kids. I don't want them naive to what goes on in the world because you don't know where life is going to take you. You don't know that you're going to graduate from college and be living in New York when something like this happened. How are you going to deal with it? How are you going to have conversations when you go back to work? If you become a school teacher, how are you going to deal with this with your kids that may experience racism or discrimination, or they have questions. So my goal really is to just teach and expose parents and kids as much as I possibly can and promote communicating with our kids. Just communicate. That's all we can do right now is talk to our kids, talk to each other, have these these but necessary conversations. You talked about the LA riots. How did you feel growing up and experiencing that? I was terrified. You know, I recall the day that it happened. I didn't live, I lived very close to where it started. I remember driving by the gas station where it started and seeing the cop cars out at the gas station. And by the time I made it home and turned on the news and saw what was going on, my mother and I just was like, we were just right there. But how it started was, the amount of police officers coming into one facility questioning individuals. And at the time, you know, you had the Rodney King situation. It was just so much tension in the neighborhood. As large as Los Angeles is, it was a lot of tension. It was a lot of hurt. And when it happened, I was scared. I remember towards the end of the night, restaurant across the street from me was set on fire. And at that moment, my mother started to talk to me about the rot riot 
and what it did to her, how she felt. And one thing she taught me was, I'm going to do you like your grandmother did me. You're going to stay home. I'm not going to allow you to go out and be a part of that. Understand what's going on. Understand the rage. But as a parent, I'm not raising you to be out and destroying somebody else's property. I want you at home where you're safe because there are some people out there, they're getting attacked and they're getting hurt right now. If it wasn't for the L.A. riot, she never would have talked to me about the Watts riot. I would have never known about it. And I have shared that with my kids prior to this, but for them to actually see it happening, they were dumbfounded. They didn't understand why people were doing this. But for me, I was scared. I was terrified. I was a little baby. I just, I couldn't believe what I was seeing. And I, at the time, I couldn't understand why it was happening. But knowing that I was at home with my parents and they were keeping me safe and talking to me helped me out. And here we are again, it's 2020 and we're reliving it. And I'm having to have these same conversations with my kids, but I try to talk to them differently that I don't care where you are in the world. If something like this happens for us in our household, what we believe, I want you to be at home. I don't want you out there tearing up somebody else's property because you're frustrated. Everybody has a way Everybody has a platform. Use your platform to the best of your ability. I said that's their platform. It doesn't have to be your platform. I'm not trying to knock it, but I want to explain to them they have an option not to do that because this is what we're being taught at home. If we are taught from January through December not to destroy or loot or kill, I mean, um, steal it applies during these times as well. And I just want them to understand that because I don't know where they're going to be when they're in their 20s. I don't want them to put themselves in a situation that they didn't have to. You know, they had another choice. That's real talk. And I think it's what is alarming and sad is when we're having these conversations and we are looking at the the part of the rioting and the destruction of property, which do not endorse and definitely understand when you say that that's their platform. And I look at it from the standpoint of you were saying it's three generations having the same conversation. Nothing has changed. My mother is 92 years old and we're experiencing four generations going through this. And just she and I have had a lot of conversations about from her eating. It's hard to imagine her lifetime she was in the cotton field picking wow. cotton and for Caucasian people. When you talk about racism or you talk about race, and we know that it's been going on for 400, over 400 years in America, when you're hearing the narrative that America is not racist and someone had to live their entire lifetime and now her great great grandchildren is living the same thing. That's the, same the travesty. Thing. Yeah, exact is. thing. That's the travesty. It's yeah. one thing yeah. you talk about slavery. It's one thing that you talk about, and it's institutional racism and yeah. it's blatant racism. And so it's no longer undercover. It's never been undercover. It's just been so you know a pipe will bust under pressure. Yeah. And that's what's happening. 
we're seeing, we're not only seeing pressure, but the sins of America has come up. We're seeing the sin of this nation being exposed. Exposed. And I agree. Social media has truly opened the, you know, like really shed a light on what has been happening for years. And it's sad, you know, that it continues to keep happening. And unfortunately, the more, you know, I sit here and I watch a lot of this stuff on the news when it first started. And it initially gets you upset. It initially gets you just disappointed. And I had to kind of scale back because I didn't want my kids to see or feel like I had hatred in my heart. But it's just, it reminded me, I was like, wow, I remember this growing up. I remember seeing this and I remember, I didn't understand why this was happening. I was just, I was probably in middle school. I was just a kid. I said, but I understand a little bit more now. I said, because this is still happening. You know, that's just three that I'm aware of that has happened in my family, but there's so many more. And I was like, gosh, when is this going to stop? Like in 30 years, will my kids be seeing this happening again? Because something in our society wasn't right. It was the decision that one man or one woman made towards another race ended in death. And now we have another riot. We have another issue like this. Like, when is it in? Like, it keeps repeating and you just get tired of seeing the same thing repeat and it's not getting fixed. And it's just sad. I'm hoping that one day soon (laughs) it's going to get better for us as a country. Yes, we do believe the best. Deidre, talk about your most memorable moment in life or business. I would say, I mean, there's so many, but in life, graduating from college was great for me. I remember walking across the stage. I graduated from Grambling State University, HBCU. Graduating from college was huge for me. I was the first in my family to graduate from a four-year university. But I remember walking the stage, and when I came down, I was so excited. I, like, skipped, and I was just smiling. And I said this degree was for my family. I didn't do this by myself. I said every hour I study for this degree, I did it because I wanted my auntie, my mom, my dad, my brother, everybody that did not choose to go to college. This was for you. I said, so this is a part of the family. We all have a college degree. And I was just great. I was not one of those kids who wanted to go to college. I was a kid who my parents and my extended family did everything they can to put me around people that taught about college, introduced me to college. But I really didn't want to go to college. I was just saying it because that's just what you do as a child. But going to college, I met so many different people. I learned so much about myself. I'm an advocate for going out of state for school, like get away from your family and grow. But being able to see my entire family, I mean, my aunties, my uncles, everybody came to my college graduation because I was the only one to graduate. They all wanted to be there. So it was a very proud moment for me. Another proud moment for me, and it leads into my business, is I have dyslexia. I didn't grow up having dyslexia training or tutors or anything like that. I self-taught myself through the years and I knew it was a problem. It was a struggle for me in college having to read and write and put my thoughts and my words together. 
And I've always wanted to go back to school to get my master's, but I was afraid I couldn't do it because there was so much, it was such a struggle for me just to write a paragraph. And one day I said, you know what? I really want to open up this nonprofit. I want to start this nonprofit and I don't want to just start it without knowing more. And I said, I'm going back to school. I'm going to go get my master's. And that was the, I mean, that right there, graduating, it was hard. I had four kids, a full-time job, and in ministry. (laughs) And I'm going to say this again, being married, it was hard going back to school, but I did it. And this time, I did it with my kids out there cheering me on. You know, they would come in and they would say, Mom, what did you get? Did you get an A on your paper today? And they would just walk around the house cheering and clapping And it felt really good that I pushed through my fears and my weaknesses. And I still, and I went and I applied, I studied, I did the work. And every time I did a paper, I got better with my writing. I got better communicating. And I did this and I told my kids, I did this for you guys, because there's going to be something in your life that's going to be challenging. And I want you to look back at mommy and say, but she did it. She pushed through with all of her doubts she pushed through and this is what she accomplished. And by accomplishing it, I graduated. And within a week, I went ahead and did all the paperwork and started the nonprofit. So all of it worked together. Education is important. Everything that we do, everything we learn is to benefit our children. Tandra, talk to someone in the audience that is struggling with dyslexia. They have a child that has dyslexia. What advice would you give them? My advice would be to be patient with them. If you do not have dyslexia and you don't have any learning disability, read up on it. Learn about it. I was able to recognize my daughter had it because there were certain things that she was doing that I did. And I had her attend a math tutor and a math tutor happened to mention it to me. And I started paying attention to it more. Once I did that, I asked for the school to test her. I remember what I didn't have. I didn't have anybody pushing me or or recognizing that there was something wrong and finding the tools to help me out. So one, I would say support your children. Find out if you don't know, if you have some doubts, get them tested, but talk to them and let them know there's nothing wrong with them. They're still smart. They're still bright, but they learn different and be patient when they're not getting it. My daughter would get frustrated when people was not understanding her. And I had to pull her back. And I said, you know, I would give her a hug and I would pray over her and keep her calm just to let her know it's okay. You know, we're going to work through this together. You got it. We're just going to help you expressing yourself, taking time out. Remember everything that your teachers are teaching you. I said, now come home and teach me. So I tried to do whatever I can to empower her. You're going to learn because you have to teach your own mom. You're not carrying this or dealing with this on your own. This is a family thing now. We're all here for you. So support them as much as you possibly can, but be patient because it takes time for kids to grab a hold to a new way of learning and accepting that they learn differently. So be patient with our kids. Deidre, what can we do right now to support YBS kids? To support YBS kids is I am always looking 
for volunteers to speak. Right now we are doing our workshops and classes virtual. I am always in need of speakers. If you have a gift or a talent and you want to educate young African-American kids, connect with me. I am always looking for individuals who want to give back and teach kids things that they need to know now, not waiting until they're 18 or 19. For instance, if you have a passion for politics and you want to express that, give us a call, contact me. I would love for that communication to start now to express to our kids the importance of voting. But what did it look like before we had the right to vote? What are we voting for? I would love for the police department to come in and talk to our kids. I would love for people in the community that hold different positions to come in and talk to our kids. I'm working on a workshop right now that will hopefully teach kids how to save money, but how to open up a banking account. What does that look like? My kids have debit cards because we teach them that. But do they know how to go inside a bank and talk to a teller? Do they know how to fill out a deposit slip? Those conversations are being missed. Those simple things is what I want to teach our kids. And I need more help. There are so many people out there that have these tools. And I'm just saying, contact us and be a voice to our kids. There are a lot of kids that don't have that structure at home and they're missing this. I don't want our kids dumbfounded at 16, at 18. Let's talk to our kids about debt when they go to college, how not to have all this debt when they go to college. I am always looking for donations. During the COVID-19, we have been donating food and art supplies to kids that are in need in our community, just to strengthen the families at home, developing some more family fun time with arts and craft for the entire family. So we're always looking for that. And again, like I said, volunteers, if you have time, if you work for a company that pays you for volunteering, then contact us at Young Black and Suburban Kids and reach out to us and give back. If you are that individual who were a part of organizations like I was and you haven't been volunteering and you haven't given back, it's your time to do so because somebody gave to you. Somebody took time out of their schedule to help you through SAT tutoring, to help you apply for college. Give back to these kids. Just because they live in the suburbs doesn't mean they have it all. A lot of these kids are struggling and we forget about them because they're not in the inner city. And I don't want them behind because a lot of these African-American kids that live out here, they don't go to college. They don't have the finances. Their parents are just trying to live in mainstream America and It's just not a a priority like you think it is. So give back to your people. Give back to your community. And we're here for it. I'll take them all. Give us the website address for them to contact you. And we'll give it at the end, too. But if someone is in the middle or whatever and want to take the information, how they can reach you. Sure thing. It's www.ybskids.org. That's ybskids.org. You can also follow me on Twitter and Instagram at YBS Kids. Teacher, we can learn from successful entrepreneurs or brands. Tell us a brand or a business that is dominating that you admire and why. I'm going to say Nike. 
I constantly have this conversation. I said Nike is just, I think, recognize their buying audience. They recognize who purchase their items and have been purchasing their items for years. And they have supported a culture, embraced the culture. And I believe that Nike has a lot of African-American and minorities working for them. And they're listening to the individuals that are working. The decisions that they make publicly and how they market shows that they're listening to the people that are working for them. I think that's huge. I think a lot of companies miss out in engaging with their staff because they there's no diversity there. They like to stick to the old ways of doing things. And when you are having your ear open to the people that you employ and you trust and believe in them, it creates an opportunity for you to grow your business. And I have really enjoyed watching how Nike has tapped into the community, not recently, but over the past 20, 30 years. So that is a company that I think on a high level, you know, another person that recently made the news was Tyler Perry. Listening to his stories over the years and what he's done in his career has been monumental. And I really love the fact that he went and purchased land that enslaved so many of our people. And turn it into, I mean, a state of art studio. And it's amazing the amount of support he had and excitement he had from other African-Americans seeing that. And I took the opportunity to open up my computer and share this with my kids because this is new for me and I'm an adult. So I just want them to know this is what he did with his riches. This is what he did somewhere in his heart. He never forgot what he was taught as a kid. And he gave back, but he gave back on his platform on a totally different way. And that is inspiring to still see that after all these years that he still was moved by what he was taught as a child. And I just really, I really love it. So. And speaking of Nike, one of the things that you mentioned about Nike, they definitely understand the market. They understand the culture, and they understand, of course, capitalism and building a successful empire. And the fact that they took a risk on Kaepernickle, we commend them for that, where so many other people and brands and businesses remove themselves from that. So we applaud them for taking that risk. And on the side with Tyler Perry, you are so right. He has put his money where his mouth is, and he has definitely gave back to the Black community, employing so many actors and actresses that were older, and Cecily Tysley, that they could have said they were washed away or washed up, but he's employed so many. And even with what's going on today with Black Lives Matter and all the deaths, He stepped up and donated his private plane. He's paid for so many of those funerals and gave to those families. So we just want to give a shout out to Tyler Perry. Yes. Um, And he doesn't want to be on display about it. Um, Not at all. Yeah. We just want to 
compliment him. And, and I'm so glad that you gave him as a brand. I don't think anyone on the show has ever mentioned his name. So that's awesome. Thanks for that. No, no problem. I have always admired how he, how Tyler Perry gave back. See, the thing is, they didn't give or do these things just because things are, you know, happening right now. They've been doing it. And they've been doing it their way at their own pace, at their own time. It's like they're, you know, I, I truly believe that he is following God's direction and he moves when he's supposed to move. And I like that. He's not afraid to make those chances, take those chances and make decisions that he's making. So when how our world is right now, it wasn't hard for him. He just did it because this is what he's been doing. Um, and there's so many other people, influential people who are doing things. It's just, I love his brand. He just seems like an individual who sat around a lot of old wise women and he didn't forget what they taught him. And that's just huge, you know. Speaking of being taught, who are your top two influencers in your life and what lessons did they teach you? My top two would be my godparents. I owe a lot to who I am to my godparents. My godparents were not individuals that were my mother, my father's best friend. They were a couple in my church that my grandmother handpicked to be my godparent. They are as old as your grandparents. They didn't have children and how they raised me and guided me taught me. I don't think there was individual lessons or one lesson. It was what they did. My grandmother asked them to be my godparents and they said yes. And they didn't break a promise. They didn't drop me. They didn't forget about me. They took me and they raised me like they were their own. They introduced me to things that my mother couldn't introduce me to. I always commend my mom for allowing me to have them in my life, for her giving me to them some days. They would pick me up once a month and spend, I would spend the weekend with them until I graduated from high school. And they introduced me to so much and they didn't live in my neighborhood, but they always taught me and they showed me it doesn't matter where you come from and it doesn't matter what people think of you because you come out of the inner city, because you come out of the ghetto. You are great. You're going to be great. I don't know what you're going to do, but whatever you do, there is greatness in you. Therefore, you're going to be great. My godfather was from Louisiana. My godmother was from Alabama. And they were individuals who lived in a time that they were told because of the color of their skin, they couldn't be anybody. They didn't forget that. And they gave and they provided me with so much knowledge and so much wisdom. And although I had a stepfather in my life and uncles, my godfather was the ideal man. He was the man that I saw that never yelled, never hit his wife, never talked bad about his wife. How he treated her is how they lived and how they loved me and how they stuck to my grandmother's request. They didn't leave me. They didn't drop me. They didn't forget about me. Another person I would say that's important in my life is my husband because, and I'm getting emotional, but he pushes me past my fears. You know, when you have a learning disability and you don't have the tools to really help you 
you develop your own sense of thinking and how you want to be and how you're going to get through things. And you develop fear and doubt. He pushes me past that. He lets me know. He reminds me of where I came from. You didn't get all the way here to be living in the area that you live in, to be afraid, to try things, to do things. So anytime doubt comes in, it's like he sees it and he pushes me. And that's where my help is. And so I enjoy that, you know, and I, I remember telling him when we first got married, it's okay. I know I might seem a little bit timid, but I had a strong black woman as a mom. You can push me. And he remembered that. So anytime I get down on myself, he pushes me. He doesn't feel sorry for me. He pushes me. And I work with that. It works for me because it that's just how I was raised. And that's what I need. So I love the fact that we'll celebrate 15 years of marriage this year. He hasn't stopped pushing me. God knew what he was doing when he picked him. <laughs> That's a beautiful love story. And I love to hear when we elevate one another and especially black males and our black fathers and our black husbands. So thank you for that. And a shout out to your husband. Give us his first name. Um, Ezra, Ezra Leo Neal Jr. So we want to give a shout out to her husband. Thank you for that. No problem. Deidre, if you conducted this interview, what's the one question that you would ask yourself? I want you to ask the question and answer it. Um, What took you so long? (laughs) Starting a nonprofit was lack of knowledge and lack of belief in myself. Knowing more. Doing more and believing in myself helped me to start this nonprofit organization. If more time and researching and working my gifts, I should say, earlier on in my life, who knows what I could have started. Maybe not this organization, but maybe some other organizations in the past. So that's probably will be my question is in my answer. Thank you. We've come to the part of our interview. It's called Fun Facts Lightning Round. I'm going to ask you a series of questions. I'd like you to give me very quick answers. If there's something that you desire not to ask, answer, feel free to say path. Are you ready for the Fun Facts Lightning Round? Yes. The last movie you saw? Just Mercy. You relaxed doing what? Watching Hallmark and the Food Network. Your favorite singer or rapper? Um, My favorite rapper would be J. Cole. My favorite singer would be Patti LaBelle. Your favorite dance song? The Cupid Shuffle. What food do you eat every week no matter what? Salmon. Your favorite month? November. Hit the gym or hit the couch? Hit the gym. Deidre O'Neill, we want to thank you for joining us on Black Entrepreneur Experience Podcast. Before we let you go, why don't you share with our audience the best way that they can connect with you and do business with YSB Kids? And feel free to give your social media handles. Yes, thank you so much for having me today. I really appreciate it. This was awesome. If anyone wants to get in contact with me, I'm Deidre O'Neill. You can reach me at info at ybskids.org. Our website, again, is www.ybskids.org. YBS Kids stands for Young, Black, and Suburban Kids. You can also find us on Twitter and Instagram at YBS Kids. And I also have a Facebook group called Parents of Young, Black, and Suburban I am also 
listed on GuideStar. If you are a business looking to donate, you can search us up by entity name, Young Black and Suburban Kids. I am on PayPal as well as Amazon if you want to locate our organization and connect with us. So purchases and donations can be sent to Young Black and Suburban Kids. I think that's about all the social media handles that I currently have. And again, my name is Deidre O'Neill and info at YBS Kids. Thank you, Deidre. That is a wrap. Thank you so much. You have a blessed day. Thank you for listening and subscribing to Black Entrepreneur Experience. We would love for you to leave a review and rating on iTunes and share with your friends. For show notes and more episodes, go to www.beepodcast.com. Join us next Wednesday. And remember, green is the new black. So keep your bank accounts and your business in the black.